I was born awake. Now, before you roll your eyes, I know that is a very bold statement for somebody to make. Hear me out. I think that we were all born awake, and I think that every individual at some point in their childhood has access to a state of expanded awareness, awakeness, consciousness. They're grounded in the present moment. There's no sense of separation. There's no solid, rigid ego identity that they're identified with. I think we all have a period in our early childhood in which we experience this. And so today, I want to talk a little bit about my, what I remember about being awake as a child. And I want to talk about my falling asleep story and how I began to fall asleep. Often we hear people talk about their spiritual awakening story, and that's really exciting. But I've gone way back and I can actually remember how I fell asleep. And so I want to begin there as I start to unravel my story across, uh, you know, different videos and talks on my podcast, my YouTube channel here. So what I'm going to share here with you is about my journey. And I invite you to contemplate your own experience of childhood. And maybe you can think about how you fell asleep and you can see that there's a lot of insight to be gained there, especially if you uh, really go deep with it. It's important here to remember that everyone has a different falling asleep story, just as we all have a different awakening story. So we don't want to compare too, too much. Some people maybe experience intense trauma um, very, very early on in their life. And so separation, falling asleep into identification with the ego is a natural, healthy, appropriate response to a difficult, unsafe environment. You know, we develop an ego to feel uh, a sense of separation, which allows us to play offense or defense and to keep ourselves safe. And so there's nothing wrong with ego. There's nothing wrong with falling asleep. I think it's a healthy part of natural human development. So I'm not here to, you know, diminish that. I'm just talking about it. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a, a rather peaceful, safe childhood. And so I was you know, able to abide in these awake, aware states of consciousness for, for quite a long time. But not everybody has that, you know, that privilege. And so be gentle with yourself if you find that, you know, things are a little different for you. Just like how when we go to sleep as... You know, when we go to bed, we fall asleep gradually and we also wake up gradually. If you're familiar with, you know, things like sleep cycles and stuff, the most natural way to wake up is at the end of a sleep cycle, we gradually come out of sleep. Okay. And so just like with the spiritual awake, just like that with spiritual awakening, we fall asleep gradually and we also wake up gradually. I've never really come across anybody who's become instantly enlightened, instantly self-realized in a flash. It's always happened gradually for everybody that I've encountered, even though some may describe as instantly, it's they're just in the midst of a gradual process. They haven't yet realized it. Or they're trying to, you know, um, exaggerate so that you like them more. <laughs> so I'll talk a little bit about what I remember being awake was like as a kid. So as early as I can remember, I remember, I, you know, I would lay in bed, I would relax, my body would completely dissolve, and I would find myself in what I understood or perceived to be outer space. It was this infinite, expansive state of awareness. And in this expansive state of awareness, there was total relaxation, total peace, total freedom. And I would be able to see my thoughts arising one at a time and passing away in this field. And I was able to stop them at will if I wanted to. I was able to play games with those thoughts. So I would have one thought arise and then I would see, okay, what's the next thought that would arise? And it would be something somewhat related. And eventually maybe I would go from thinking about the zoo to thinking about animals, thinking about a TV show that had that animal to thinking about, you know, my friend who also likes that TV show. And now I'm thinking about my friend and I'm thinking about school where I hang out with him. And like, like that is how the thoughts would go. And I thought this was so cool to just watch the thoughts, one thought coming after another and watching how they would kind of tangentially 
be related. And if I wanted to, like I said, I could just stop the mind at will. And then I would maybe sometimes reverse and I would say, okay, maybe, how did I get to this thought? Oh yeah, I went to this thought and then that thought. It was like I was just very, very lucid with the mind. It was like the mind was a 3D physical location. Sorry, this field of awareness was a 3D physical location and the mind was, the thoughts were arising within it. And I was able to navigate around thoughts, in and out of them, underneath, on top of them. It was very much like I was just, just very lucid with the mind. So... As we know, the mind is a tool. It's the most powerful tool, you know, in the known universe. And as we know, when you give a child a tool, what do they do? They don't use the tool. They play with the tool, right? If you give a child a hammer or something, they play with it. Give a child, you know, cooking utensils, they play with them. So this is what I would do. I would play with the mind. I didn't take it to be this serious tool. I also didn't identify myself with it. I didn't think that I was these thoughts. I didn't think that Brent was in the thoughts. I was in the awareness. I was in the spaciousness. And so there was great freedom here because there wasn't a sense of me and the world out there. There was just a sense of the world as this expansive awareness. And I thought, you know, this was, this was life. This was natural. It was normal. Everybody must experience this, including adults, you know, this innocence of a child. Of course, I couldn't articulate any of this back then. This has only recently come to me after some deep contemplation. So how did I begin to fall asleep out of this state? Well, like I said, I think we fall asleep gradually. And as I began to develop, I, I was given reason to start identifying with the mind and start to develop a sense of self. So the earliest memory that I can remember of, of this uh, happening to me up until this point, it must have been you know five years old. My parents would take me to the mall. Uh, and on this day, they said, you know, pick out a pair of pants that you like. Up until that point, they would just, you know, let me know what I'm going to wear. And I would wear it. I was totally surrendered to that, totally trusted in whatever they wanted me to wear. It was totally surrendered to whatever they wanted me to do. There was no questioning. There was no sense of autonomy and independence. There was no sense of separation. There was no sense of I, me, or my will. It was just total state of surrender. And it was free and it was fine. There was no problem with that. But now they said, you know, pick out a pair of pants and they gave me some choices. And one of the choices was like a pair of track pants and it had like the cool cars, like race cars on it. And then there was another pant, pair of pants that was like kind of baggy. It was baggy jeans, that had cool pockets. So suddenly I have to make this choice and I've never had to make a choice like this before. What pants am I going to wear? And what are the implications of that? Who am I going to be? Am I going to be the kid who wears the track pants with the cars? Or am I going to be like one of the older, cooler kids who wears like the jeans? Suddenly I have a choice. I can be the cool kid or I can be the kid who wears, you know, whatever his parents kind of told him to wear, which is probably like the track pants. So of course I choose the cool jeans. So now I have this idea in my head that I am a cool person. Now, one of those thoughts that used to arise is now I, I kind of cling to it. And it's the thought, I'm cool. I have the cool pants. So that thought is now sort of beginning to form this identity of Brent. Now, around that thought, there's ideas of, well, if I'm cool, I got to hang out with other cool kids. So there's the cool kids and there's the kids who aren't cool. So there's a very basic dichotomy began to arise. Sense of separation. I'm cool. We are cool. They're not cool. Or like, what else? What does a cool kid do? Well, he plays cool games. You know, he doesn't play like baby games anymore. He plays the cool stuff. He tries to play stuff that older kids play. So now there's like behaviors associated with this. What about things that I say or do? All of this begins to form around my identity of being a cool kid. Of course, like I've been saying, this happens gradually. And it's not like I suddenly have completely fallen asleep and identified with this idea of Brent, the cool kid, but it's beginning to happen now. I would still be able to, you know, access the spaciousness. I was still very much grounded in the present moment, but there was a sense of identity beginning to emerge. This is about five or six. Fast forward a bit. I'm 10 years old. And this is when I remember 
one of the most significant moments where I began to suffer as a result of this identity in my head. So I would love to skateboard a lot, but I would take the school bus, so I couldn't skateboard to school. But there was this other boy, he used to skateboard to school, and in the morning, sometimes he would be doing tricks on his skateboard. And I remember one time I said, hey, let me try your skateboard out. I can show you some tricks. I wanted to show off a little bit. And he said, no, you can't use it. And I remember from that point until all the, the entire day until I went to sleep, there was this intense rumination about how he didn't give me his skateboard to try it and how... I'm going to convince him tomorrow to let me use it and I'll show him some tricks. It'll be incredible. A crowd will form around us. Everyone's going to think I'm super cool. And, you know, he was an older kid. And so I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to flex on him. Right. So I had this intense rumination happening. And I remember being at home thinking about, you know, how I was going to like, you know, this, I was scheming in my mind. And I remember having the awareness, the ability to step out of that and think, man, this is really uncomfortable. I don't know why I can't stop these thoughts. It's irrational um, and it's, it's, it's making me suffer. Like I'm, I'm hurting inside because I'm thinking about this, this guy in the skateboard, but I couldn't stop the thoughts. There was so much momentum behind it. I couldn't stop it. And it was troubling to me because it was the first time that I began to like suffer in my mind solely because of my mind, solely because of my thoughts. Prior to that, I had suffered maybe because I was sick or somebody did something to me or some circumstance, but now I'm safe in my room no worries at all except what's happening in my mind and i'm worrying about the, the, the future which doesn't exist about something almost irrational and i remember being aware that this is unhealthy there's something wrong something wrong i can't control this but anyway i'm an innocent child so it's not like i go out and you know seek like psychiatric help or something i just you know whatever let it go but it was so notable you know my contemplation when i thought about my past that this came up and i remember this was the first time anyway next day go to school see this guy with a skateboard literally None of my plan came to fruition whatsoever. I didn't say a word to him. That's normally how it goes, right? We we have these you know intense arguments in our head and what we're going to say or do. And then when the time comes, none of that actually plays out. So anyway, that was also troubling to me because I thought, man, I spent the whole day yesterday thinking about this guy. And now in the moment, I'm not able to act on any of my of my intense plan. It was, it was, it was like all of that was for nothing. I suffered and I was troubled by this for no reason. It was very confusing. So I'm about 10 at this point, still not fully asleep, I would say, still have the innocence of a child, still generally speaking, grounded in the present moment for the most part, still have a natural sense of confidence, not insecure, I'm not shy, I'm just just naturally innocent and outgoing as a child. And I remember like being very confident to do drama or to stand up and do public speaking. And there was no hesitation whatsoever. There was no thought that said, oh no, these people are going to judge me. There was no thought that said, you know, what if I make a mistake? I remember just being totally free and confident being able to stand up and, and do drama and all these sorts of things. About 10, 11, 12 when, at this age. Some more instances sort of happen like the instance with the skateboard. You know, I'm given more reason to identify with, with this idea of Brent, more reason to, to create this sense of self, to function in the world. There's maybe some bullying. I was I was the victim and the bully in some instances. You know, there, there, all these types of things began to arise that sort of um, required a sense of ego, a sense of self. They required me to fall asleep, you could say. So I began to fall asleep, but still generally, you know, awake as a child and innocent. Go to high school, high school just... It's very, very intense. There's a lot going on. Very, very sensitive. I become depressed. I go through some heartbreak. I, I experience some like existential dread, nihilism. I, I start questioning religion. And I have this like intense, like 
feeling of, of, of intense depression and totally identified now with Brent, this idea of Brent, me, I. And now the world is out there and the world is a scary, dangerous, meaningless place. And Brent is here and I've got to defend myself. I've got to play offense and defense to navigate in this world, in this high school environment, navigate in, in you know, um, the world that, you know, wanted to control me and all these sorts of things. All these kind of ideas began to emerge. And from this point at 15, I remember it being like completely suffocating, like being totally asleep, totally identified with the mind and having no access to any awareness, no access to any spaciousness. The mind was no longer this tool that I would play with. The mind was 100% who I thought I was, period. And that was extremely, extremely debilitating. And like I said, it was like I was suffocating and that made me a great candidate for the spiritual path. And that's when I found things like meditation and, and mindfulness. I found that I could you know, step out of my mind and begin to witness it. And that all felt very, very familiar to me. It felt natural because I was living in that way for much of my childhood. And so I began to practice those, those uh, mindfulness practices, awareness practices and whatnot to, to you know, begin to abide there longer and longer to actually find peace again. Now, some people fall asleep in this way, in the sense of separation, and they don't suffocate. They're able to sort of just trudge on and get by and, and you know, hats off to them. For whatever reason, I was a bit of a wimp. You know, like just one year was enough for me. I just, I couldn't take it. And so that's why I was, like, you know, very, very much drawn to the spiritual path. Now, in, in sharing all this, I invite you to consider your own falling asleep story. What were some key moments in your childhood where you remember that you were required to develop a sense of identity, a sense of self. Just contemplate them with, with curiosity. You can sit in meditation. And one exercise you can do is just go back to some of the earliest memories. And if you feel like I can't remember, just hang around in the earliest memories that you have. Just kind of contemplate them. And then probably another memory around that time will, will, will emerge suddenly. And the more you hang around sort of just contemplating the earliest memories you have, more begin to emerge. You kind of unlock them in your, in your psyche. So you can explore in that way. And what you can do is you can use this practice to kind of remember your own awakeness. And then you'll be able to recognize that just like all the spiritual teachings say, this is all stuff that we've already always known. We're not adding awakening onto us. We're just remembering what we have forgotten. Spiritual teachings say the answers are all within you. Right? I think there's some quote in the Bible that says, you know, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you are like a little child. This is what they're talking about. They're talking about just the childlike innocence and state of awakeness and awareness that we all had. So when I say I was born awake, that's what I mean. I was born awake just as you were as well. So I invite you to this little exercise. You'll be able to tap into what you've always remembered and it will start to make sense because sometimes we have this idea that, like I was saying, you know, we got to go out and add spiritual insights to us. We got to develop ourselves. We got to develop our philosophical approach or develop our meditation abilities. We don't have to develop anything per se. It's just remembering what we always knew, what we came into this world with. Now, what's interesting is that what I've come to understand about my own journey and the way that I kind of frame it is that my child like innocence and awareness and awakeness, my work now is to integrate that into my life as a mature adult. So it's not that I want to, you know, revert all the way to being a child and, and like, you know, like, you know, like a child. 
I want to be like a mature adult with the wisdom and the awakeness of a, of a, that I had as a child. So you want to integrate the two. You want to merge the two, okay? So see if you can contemplate this stuff. I think it'll begin to unlock some things within you and you'll begin to recognize, you know, whatever anybody else is out there, they may know, they maybe maybe the people are telling you that it's like the answers are out there. They're not. They've always been with you. You've had this since you were born and even before that. So I hope this has been meaningful for you. You can check out the other talks on my channel to see some more uh, of my spiritual ideas and things like that. I've got a whole talk about some of the darker parts of my spiritual awakening journey that I just put out. If you're interested in checking that out. If you have any questions about this, leave a comment below. You can reach me at e by email at info at brentspirit.com. A lot of free content at brentspirit.com as well. Some ebooks, audiobooks, and that sort of thing. And if you'd like to meet with me one-on-one -on -one to discuss your spiritual awakening journey, you can find out about that there as well. Brentspirit.com. Thanks so much for your attention today. And until next time, much love and peace. Mm -hmm.